Hello and welcome to Alone Upfront, the podcast for teachers doing it by themselves. And yes, here we are. We are on episode nine, episode nine of the podcast. And we really hope you've got some value out of the previous episodes. I'm Chris Mortimer. I'm here in the UK. My brother Steve is with us over in Berlin. Hi, Steve. Hi, Chris. Glad to be back on the podcast for teachers doing it by themselves. So if you're doing a bit of teaching, but you're not kind of officially a teacher, you just have to figure stuff out on your own. Everyone expects you to just deliver the magic, but you're not quite sure how. We're here for you. How are you doing, bro? Yeah, decent, bruv. And <laughs> it's a, I suppose it's a bit of a downtime for a few teachers. I know you've just done a, a big marking job and you've got a little bit of time off. And me yep. too, I've just uh, closed down a module uh, at the university that I teach at and I've got a little bit of breathing space. So maybe now's a good time. Maybe now's a good time for people to get into the podcast and, you know, really reflect on their practice. Yeah, if you teach in... Um a university tertiary if you're teaching a school then the summer is a time for a bit of a breather um i to be honest never really left the kind of academic um uh plan of the year it always feels for me like september is the start of a new year rather than mm-hmm. january and people who are teachers or indeed if there are any school pupils listening you'll feel like that as well of course if you're teaching alone up front you may not be tied to the academic calendar so you may be doing courses at companies you may be just be doing some training mm-hmm. periodically with your company so um it, this may not be relevant to you but for for me and chris certainly this is a time to reset and think and just consider how we want to progress as we push into the fresh autumn semester or autumn term start in September or October I just finished a load of grading on Friday for all my different modules mm. got that uploaded happy to be done with that a bit of downtime mm. and now looking forward and today's good, topic good. Well, um maybe yeah well maybe just before we get into the topic yeah, sure. people can let us know in the comments you know what's their kind of teaching cycle uh when do you get your holidays and you know when when is that downtime if you get any downtime at all so Steve what topic what is the topic today Today we're looking about inform- um, we're looking at information in the learning space, specifically the flow of information. We've talked about interaction before, how to include as many learners as possible when you're interacting with them. But here we're going to look at specifically not so much how you interact, but what you're communicating and how the information is getting to the place it needs to be in the learning space. Obviously, when you're teaching, information is flowing predominantly in one direction. It's flowing from the teacher to the learners. Um, Mm. in the form of knowledge which is accruing skills which is accruing in their heads and the teacher is somehow disseminating that or at least facilitating the accrual of that knowledge so there is an information transfer taking place and what we need to look at is um, the assumptions that we make as teachers in how we choose to disseminate different pieces of information and whether those assumptions are a little bit outdated or maybe counterproductive in terms of how the information is landing with the learners that's going to be the main mm. topic. We also have a couple of uh, features. At the end of the podcast, we'll have the top tip, a practical piece of advice you can use today or tomorrow whenever you're next teaching. And we also have Is It Worth It? where me and you, Chris, frantically debate mm-hmm. um, some contentious issue of classroom orthodoxy. That. Indeed. Looking looking forward to that one. Could, but could I, I don't want us to hardwire a kind of assumption into the session that some mm. people might, some people might disagree with. So mm. we're talking about this kind of, information flow Mm. and uh, we're saying that um, generally speaking or certainly like you know the received wisdom is that it comes from the teacher towards the 
towards the students. You know, the students receive receive the knowledge. But these days, um, I'm thinking of more radical approaches. You know, couldn't we couldn't we just well, there must be situations where teachers are just kind of letting students go, giving them a kind of research question and telling them to like look online. And so that kind of directional flow we're talking about from teacher to student, I mean, these days, is it not more kind of, you know, it's coming from the general sphere of online uh, technology. And I don't know, it might be more complex than just that, just that single uh, information flow that, you know, you, you strongly, strongly implied in your introduction. This is absolutely the case. And I think we need to uh, differentiate between the flow of information and the flow of knowledge, if you like. Mm. Um, I completely agree with you that if you have a model where the teacher is give, is talking the knowledge out and the pupils are hearing it, it's going in via their ears and it's staying in their brain, that would be a completely transactional model where you'd have the teacher as the repository of knowledge. It would be communicated via speech, going into the learner's ears and staying in their head. Uh, that is pretty limiting. I completely agree. And this is not the the way we will really want to be working. There's an old metaphor that you sometimes hear. Teaching isn't about filling up an empty vessel. It's about igniting a, a fire. So you're not filling up mm, a jar with it. knowledge. You're actually you've, you've, you're, you're, you're lighting a fire, which is going to then burn. Um, mm. It's a classic, but I think it remains pretty relevant so mm. i i don't want to talk about now um the flow of knowledge but the flow of information required to light that fire because even mm. if you have the kind of lesson where the learning is happening by the learners experiencing new things and challenging themselves so you're not just giving them you're not just communicating the knowledge that they're developing it themselves you still need to facilitate that process by providing them with pieces of information so if you want your um, learners to do, for example, a little bit of strategic analysis of uh, a company, or they want to learn about, about the business analysis process, of course, you can stand there and explain to them all the different ways you can analyze business processes, or you can give them a case study, you can give them a, a company, you can maybe create groups. One group is one department, one is a different department within the company. They have to have meetings with each other. Another group has to be consultants, all that stuff. And so the, the learners can figure out how this analysis process should happen, not by you telling them mm. how it should happen, but by them experiencing experiencing what works and what doesn't so that mm. would be but even in that latter case which is i think uh, a more interesting way of doing it you still have to set up that situation you have to set up the simulation set up the groups set up the expectations of the lesson set up the time limitations set up any kind of differentiation of the activity all of that information also has to be communicated and mm. that flow of information although it may seem like not really the the meat of the lesson it's just kind of the auxiliary mm. stuff it is vitally important that that facilitation process happens with the information being communicated clearly and accessibly to, to the learners, even if it's just okay. kind of meta-organizational type information. Mm. And I think So we're not just talking about knowledge in terms of subject content. Yeah. We're talking about a flow of information about the organization of the activities in the lesson. Yes, Exactly. Yeah. Um, all all information that has to be exchanged in order for learning to happen, not the actual, yeah, not the actual subject knowledge itself. So let's first of all mm. do an audit of the channels of communication that we can use to transmit information to our learners. I've done a little list and I've come up mm. with. Okay, first of all, Chris, how mm. many? We're talking for the, for now, not learn learner interaction, but 
communicating information to your learners, teacher to learner. How many channels do you think I've come up with? Well, name a number. Ooh, must be four or five. No. No. <laughs> we need to go a bit, bit higher than that. Higher than that. Okay. Yeah, it's Well, by a channel, you mean a medium of communication, which could be speech or email yes. or yes. Uh, maybe an audio recording. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, carrier pigeon. <laughs> Smoke signal. There's the Indeed. Semaphore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, How many did you get to then, Steve? All right. I'm intrigued. I got to eight. Not in, not including carrier pigeon, semaphore, or or smoke <laughs> signals. <laughs> All right, um, I think that there's eight which are commonly used. You could probably expand those mm. even more, but eight channels of communication. Now, if that comes, if you're listening and that comes as a surprise to you, then mm. maybe straight away we start thinking, oh well, are we yeah. using all the different? The thing is, I I don't think that it's that listeners. Um, teachers don't use the channels of interaction. They're probably just not mm. quite aware that those channels exist and might have distinct uh, profiles yeah. in, in terms yeah. of their suitability for communicating information. Shall, shall we see if I can tick tick them off? Yeah, you you start just okay. start listing a few. I got them. I've got them here, um, and I will okay. tick tick them off as you say them. So I think the most obvious one. I'm not saying it's the best one, but the most obvious one is teach teacher talk. So the teacher yep. talking verbal communication. Yeah. I would want to break that down into more than okay. one, though. Okay. So maybe teacher-to-group communication yeah. as opposed to teacher-to-individual-student communication. Yeah. And then teacher-to-whole-class communication. Okay, yes. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. That gives us Makes sense. three straight away. And, I see. And as a teacher, you, you have that, that choice. You can... Talk to the mm. whole class. Yeah, you can go mm. over to a specific group and talk to them, or you can go to an individual learner and talk to him or her. So, this is and and one of the things I realised a bit earlier on in my career is that half the stuff I was telling to the whole class actually I need to tell to one group or even to one person. Mm. Mm. But I was telling it to the whole class is out of force of habit. So that's okay. worth considering. So we have three down the three different three down, forms three of teacher. Eight. Okay. Teacher so what about um, information on a worksheet? Okay, a handout. Face down, a face down worksheet. Always hand out your sheets face down, folks. <laughs> um, it's, it's, is that on it's the, the list? way to do it. Yes, handout or some kind of worksheet is on the list. Um, mm -hmm. That gives us four. Okay, good. Okay, what about some online video, an online video resource? I have grouped all my online resources together. Uh, okay. Video, audio. I've put it like some kind of platform resource to be accessed via from learners, probably mm, via smartphones or laptops or tablets if they have them. I do see a distinction there, which might might be worth throwing in. Which I'd say there's a distinction between a resource you prepared yourself, mm. a video you prepared mm. yourself, and a video that is not your intellectual property. Yeah, I, just, I, I always I, I always have that in mind. Um, when I'm thinking about online resources, but I'm not saying we should go deep into that. But for me, it's a useful, a useful distinction because something you've done yourself is going to be very tightly focused around the lesson. Whereas if, you know, somebody, some kind of eminent management scientist, linguist mm. um, may be making some really important points, but yeah. you might, the, the students might need help yeah. interpreting what they're saying because it's not so tightly focused around your 
around your lesson. Yeah, I, th I think also that video content would often be the actual um, subject content of the activity. It would lean towards that, whereas we're leaning yes. yeah. more yet to, uh, to, um, towards like the... Uh, briefing the briefing yeah the kind of um yeah. the meta level information that you need for the students I Not, see what although you're saying. of course yeah. there's, there's there is some overlap there which we'll get into so we've got teacher, I see what you're saying yeah three, three forms of teacher talk we've got handouts and we've got some kind of learning platform delivered content okay lovely for, for students to consume individually i suppose on their on their phones or something like that lovely okay. what about um email um I don't have that. I don't have that on that list. I must confess, mm. it's never occurred to me to send an email out mm. because I think it would be. It's but basically the same as a handout. Question mark. I have. I have. I have done this actually because there's on some of the learning platforms I've worked on. There's the facility to send an email uh, to everybody and um, or even just to a few students. So I, I had. I have had some success. I think it creates a bit more intrigue mm. than just getting, than just having a worksheet, having a mm. hard copy worksheet. Mm. And mm. Um, there's a certain amount of, of, of excitement just attached to, you know, doing, yeah. doing things differently, accessing your email, although you have to deal with the possible distraction that might cause with students yeah. looking at other emails and stuff. But I tell a lie, yeah. actually, I, I have done it before. In in, yeah. in in an activity where where students were mid level managers and trying to deal with uh, troubled teams and difficult bosses at the same time, and every mm. fifteen minutes I I, I sent out an a, an angry email from the imagined boss, mm. and all of the students got it on their phones, <laughs> and so we were able to continuously add challenge and complexity to the task by doing that, and that I did via email. That was quite good fun mm. actually. So okay. fair enough. In that case, if well, if we add email, then we need nine. Then we're looking for nine, nine. now. So how many have I got so far then, Steve? One, two, three, four, five, six, including the email. We're looking for three more. Three more. There's okay. some, there's, there's there's two pieces of low hanging fruit here, Chris. Um, okay. What about <laughs> what, what about slides? Um, of course. We have. Yeah. We I have, mean. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, well, I don't use slides anymore in my teaching, but I absolutely do. Yeah. And, you know, my students will know the first thing that happens when they get in it is there's a slide on the screen yeah. that's kind of describing the session. So, yeah, of course. Um, uh, and then and then the old the old whiteboard. Exactly. Classic whiteboard. Um, yeah. That's on there as well. Then we have one left. We're on we're on seven of the original eight that I came up with. Um, any ideas what it might be? It's not verbal. It is visual, but it's not whiteboard. It's not a um, slide. Is it a um, one of the, those overhead camera things? <laughs> I've, that I've, can... Yeah, that's that's. I've, I would subsume that within slide though. Whether you have like an yeah. over, like a visualizer, that a could, visualizer exactly. that could be considered yeah. a different one. What I have is um, something on display in the learning space. So um, something which is permanently or fairly permanently on the wall of where mm. you teach. Okay. Which is a dangerously subversive notion. We don't tend to I mean if you, <laughs> you think about primary schools when you think of doing displays. That's what I would yeah. be doing if I were if I were a, still a school teacher in the UK in the holidays. Now when, when I was teaching in Japan, I had, so and my job got a lot easier when I, they had this... Um, this kind of double-sided paper one side is magnetic mm. and the other side is just paper and um cool. i got some of this like a2 size and um slice it up into strips 
and wrote four phrases on there, mm. uh, which one is, I don't understand. One was, please say that again. Mm. One was, how do you say Japanese word in English? Mm. Four strips. And, and, and I used to take them around with me because I could roll them up yeah. and then just, and then just slap them on the board. Um, so yep. kind of that, that, that kind of vibe maybe. And if you had not have had those, the reason mm. you made those is because you were wasting your time constantly totally. repeating. So what you were doing was you were using teacher talk to the whole class and constantly having to use that channel of communication to keep repeating those phrases. Which and, was tiring. Yes, which is tiring and a waste mm. of time and excluding in that moment all the learners that don't actually need Absolutely. that piece of information. And... Yep giving your learners leverage to avoid engaging with your task because they can keep asking you sort of low-level questions, then you have to keep explaining totally. it because you're supposed to as a teacher. So by putting that information, so that, that's a piece of information, um, and then we need to diff, we need to um, make that distinct from the channel of communication that you chose to um, to, to send it out to your, your learners. And by mm. changing the channel... Um, mm. you improved the, the learning experience. So you say, right, this is something that's not going to be on, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to put it on the slide. I'm not going to mm. put it in a handout every damn week. I haven't got time for that. I'll simply stick it on the wall because it's so fundamental and I use it so often that I, can, I just want to be able to point to it. And after a while, if you've actually got a display on the wall, you don't even have to point to it because you've pointed it mm. so many times that learners mm. know that's what you're going to do and then they don't even yeah. ask the question. Which is brilliant. Exactly. So you're, yeah. you're, 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 you're saving time here. So this is, this is a really great example of how the choice of channel um, mm. can be optimized for the piece of information you want to, um, you want to communicate. So Absolutely. we've now, we've mm. now got our, our eight different channels of communication, three forms of teacher talk, slides, handouts, whiteboard, um, something on display in the room, and something from kind of learning platform, and maybe also sending email out. Now, it's not possible to really set hard and fast rules for what channel should be reused for what content. But we straight away can see that all teachers listening to this have a little think about what you communicate with your teacher talk and think mm. about whether you can push some of that onto the other channels. Because as we've talked about before, teacher talk is very precious and it's the most personal, most involved form of communication between you and your learners and if you are wasting that mm. um just but sending out loads of content that they don't really need sure. you sort of have to say it as little background or maybe in a differentiated sense some people in the classroom need it but others don't and yet you're having mm. to kind of carpet bomb the whole group with it just yeah. in case anybody might have forgotten scorched it. earth yeah absolutely well, yeah it's some, I, I think we've mentioned this every week yeah on the podcast <laughs> in one you know, wrapped up in one way or another, you got to ration that teacher talk. But just thinking about what you're saying, and uh, and as always, just being in the podcast, I'm coming up with ideas. But okay, so so we're doing some lesson planning. We have an activity. Mm. We can predict demand from the students to use a business term. You know, yep. we can predict what questions they're going to ask. You know, if you're reasonably experienced, you know, and I'm sure like. Uh, like you, Steve, you know, I've got activities that I turn to, you know, every year, every mm -hmm. term. Mm -hmm. I've got activities I've done 20 or 30 times. Uh, we Certainly for those activities, we can predict the demand, the kind of questions yep. that are going to come in. Yeah. Yeah. So take, take the top five, put them in a table, and then you could even create a, a little matrix with the eight different channels of communication. Mm -hmm. 
that we've already spoken about and then think, okay, for this question, what's the best channel uh, to answer it with? And it probably shouldn't be shouldn't be teacher talk. Mm. If the demand is predictable, if we mm. know what queries are going to come in, mm. we can prepare in some way, use another channel, mm. and that's going to make make everything better and it's going to make your job easier as, as a teacher. It's going to mean you're less tired. Absolutely. I mean, the, the thing that... The reason teacher talk, teacher talk gets used as like an all-purpose tool is because it's the most flexible, because you don't need any time mm. to prepare. You don't have to run to a copier or send anything out, out via email. You can just, in that moment, do it. And you can also react to changing conditions. So teacher talk is a, is a very powerful tool, um, but that's why it's so valuable. And mm. um, if you can... But it should be reserved for those things that really need that flexibility. Totally. So I totally. think that um, when we're talking about motivating students or when we're talking about reassuring, providing assistance, providing contextualized support, which is going to change from learner to learner and group to group and week to week, this is this is the really um, sensitive stuff that teacher talk is, is made for, right? Teacher talks like a very specialized tool, and you can do it to make anything, but 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 it should be reserved for its specific purpose, and that means removing everything else. So then we need to look at the degree of abstraction of the different pieces of information and the degree of utility. Mm. Certain pieces of information, like the it's a brilliant example, the four phrases you were talking about, you're just going to need them every single lesson. In my yep. case, as a as a English teacher. Um, it's the, the PCAF principle, dividing communication into purpose, content, audience, form. Why, what, who, how. Every single lesson we talk, we, we have, there's normally production of some kind of communicative outcome. It's a meeting or it's a letter or it's an email or it's a presentation. And every time students are asking questions, how long should it be, Stephen? How, how, mm -hmm. how should we do that, Steve? And every time I look at them and normally a raised eyebrow <laughs> is enough for them to go, oh yeah, of course, we're supposed to look at PCAF and we're supposed to figure out ourselves how long should it be? Well, who's the audience? What's the purpose? How, how, mm. how should we include jokes? Well, who's the audience? What's the form? What's the purpose? Mm. And just having a massive, uh, just I made like an A3 poster thing um, and just yep. put it on the wall where I teach. And I can also carry one round with me and put it up on the wall. Um, you just point at it and you'd stay mm. silent. You don't even, mm. you, you, you do, but, and then, but then they don't need it. It's there, but they yep. don't even need it. And you're not wasting your time, your teacher talk mm. going over there. Plus you're empowering that they, they shouldn't be asking that question. You know, yeah. they, 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 yeah, they, they you should don't be. want to validate that. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. You, it puts you into this service provider role of walking around mm. and, and like a fucking customer services. Not, <laughs> not what, what, what you end up, yeah. and, and this is this is maybe the, the important point. This is maybe how we should conclude this first section. Um, the, there's always a danger in, in the, every teaching situation that you end up being a gatekeeper as the teacher that you have mm. the information or the totally. knowledge in your head totally. and you are the conduit for it. But that means that students can only get that knowledge through you. Mm. And uh, this mm. is the case if everything, everything was restricted to, to teach talk, that means that only the students who are confident enough to ask you a question have access to it. And that will not mm. be everybody in your class. And Absolutely. it also means that it's only those students that manage to get their question in, in the limited amount of time you have available. You become, mm. as a teacher, um, a, a bottleneck for information. Yeah. And this is the last thing you should be. Mm. Um, and the problem is that we almost sometimes, and we're all guilty of this, I certainly am, you actually, um, this, 
this role of the gatekeeper gives you power and control over your mm. lessons and it's inevitable that you don't what that isn't desirable well, well, that, well that's right well it, it on Probably the one isn't i mean desirable. having well no not really well <laughs> or the, it's a double-edged sword it's, I mean, just at a, best yeah. just just a couple of podcasts ago um people can check it out if they want to and um, we talked about where the teachers derive their authority and their agency from we were doing mm. it in a, in a is it worth it debate is it worth trying to be a strict teacher and I said that you need to derive your authority from from the learning. Um, the the learners need to listen to you and, and 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 give their all because they know that listening to you will leave them with that great feeling of having learned something. Mm. Um, and that's right. Rather than you being, you know, you deriving or like I'm your teacher. You sit down. You listen to me when I'm talking. You know, because because that's how it is. Um, the problem is that with that approach that I advocate, um, you are putting everything on, on the learning. That it's very tempting to to make you synonymous with the, the content um, sure. because that's where you're driving your authority and that means that you are placing yourself as a gatekeeper there's a fortress of knowledge or a fortress of information mm. and you're at the gate and students can come up to you also physically mm. in the classroom if you've ever been sat at a desk at the front and students mm. have been coming up to you to show you their work in turn or coming up mm. to you to ask questions and then going back again you have appointed yourself the uh, official gatekeeper of knowledge and that is not really what we want to be doing it's it's unavoidable mm. and you can get into a loop where you're actually doing it too much because it enhances your status and your control and mm. your and your power in it but it's not really the right way to do it and by broadening out the number of channels we we use and by think matching content to channel matching information to to conduit then we can get mm. more more effective and avoid avoid Love this it, gatekeeper yeah. problem all right so as so, so, so as always just to try to try to summarize as as always you know i think i think there's there's some practical stuff that people can take out of this discussion you know we've got my idea of having some key phrases if you're a language teacher mm. having some key phrases on some of that magnetic card that you can roll up and mm. take to all your lessons mm. i've got some other some other practical ideas, you know, sending email briefings to students and mm. stuff like that. But we're saying if you can do these things, there's a more profound change going on, which is that the teacher is not synonymous with learning. You know, it's yep. I can do the learning without having to without having to, you know, go through go through the teacher as Absolutely. this as as this gatekeeper. So so you got all these all this practical stuff, but if you can implement that, it can facilitate this more profound change that's just gonna make everything easier and gonna maximize learning opportunity. I have the coin, Chris the coin you know that, that <laughs> means it's time for is it worth it this is where me and chris try to debate a topic and uh, I, I assign think, i assign who is for and against based on the coin absolutely. Toss. i think our, our, our listeners think you're throwing in a little audio clip of a of a coin landing oh. on a desk oh, but no. you actually because we're, we're we're actually uh seeing each other on skype here so steve actually tosses the coin oh yeah it's all analog it's all analog on, uh, on the loan up front <laughs> the topic today is should you create lesson summaries for learners who could not attend your lesson? Ooh, big. Should you be should you be doing that or not? Okay. Um, if the Euro sign comes up, then I will argue for. If the Euro if the okay. other side comes up, I will argue against. Here we go. There's the coin toss. Okay, I'm arguing against. Mm. You're arguing for some kind of learning summary for non-attending learners. 
Einar, I'm arguing against. We should not be doing that. Would you like to? Okay, start well, this with? one, yeah, well, this one's very clear to me, Steve. Actually, and I'm glad, I'm glad the coin, uh, the coin fell in that way because yeah. you know we've got to be understanding and uh, inclusive as teachers. You know, a school. Well, we've already talked about it. it. Shouldn't be a place for transactional learning. It should be a community. It should be a caring environment. Yeah, a bit of a bit of a family vibe there. And if we're just if we're just excluding students from the learning process because they can't get to a session, and and you know, there's there's very kind of uh, valid reasons for not being at a session, then you know. If we're excluding students just for that reason, then we're not creating that community environment, uh, inclusiveness there. So to me, to, to me, it's very obvious, and um, it should be really uh, a small extension of your lesson plan anyway to do some kind of lesson summary. Uh, you know, these resources are pretty much pre-prepared in the planning process. You should be able to tweak something you have, make it available in a PDF. That means the student has the lesson summary. The student doesn't feel uh, excluded. The student's not pestering other people in the class for notes from the session. So to me, to me, it's a bit of a no-brainer. You know, we've got to provide some kind of lesson summary for yeah. uh, learners who can't attend. A no-brainer that devalues everything we stand for. <laughs> Tell um, me more. Well, look, um, it's all very well. Yes, some students can't attend for valid reasons and they shouldn't be excluded. But um, it, the corrosive effect on your lessons cannot be undone. And when mm. you s set out on a path of attendance is basically optional, don't worry, just read the lesson summary, you are, mm. you're soaring off the, the branch that you're sitting on. And um, for every student that benefits from that in a legitimate way, a deserving way, there's be three or four that take it as um, permission to stay in bed and the ones that do turn up will rapidly start thinking, well, hang on a minute, we, we're dragging ourselves out and they get it anyway. So mm. I think this is a very, this is the thin end of a very dangerous wedge. Well, I think um, as teachers and anybody who's been listening to the Loan Upfront po podcast will kind of appreciate this, but as teachers, we've got to make these sessions worth coming to. And if they're fun, if they're participative, then you'll get students, you'll, you'll move them away from this transactional mindset where they're thinking, oh, I've just got to go to the lesson in order to get the information to pass the assignment, or I've just got to go to the lesson to get the information, you know, to pass the exam. If you're, if, if you're passionate, I hate that word, but if you're passionate about your subject, if you're in command of the subject matter, if you've been listening to the podcast and you're designing fun, interactive sessions where there's interaction between you and the learners, but also learner to learner interaction, and you've got different channels of, of, of information like we've been talking about, you can create the kind of learning environment that students want to come through, come to, you know, they're not just looking for that transaction to get some information. They actually want to come there. So yeah, I think that's what we should be looking to do. Chris, I've run out of arguments already. <laughs> <laughs> I've Sorry, got an folks. argument for you for you, Steve, I think. Have you? Have you? I've I've I I've really reflected on this. Um reflected on this, you know, in depth since and there was a particular development that made me do this since mm. lectures have been recorded. Mm. And one of the universities I teach at, um, lecture recording well it's optional for lecturers but if you don't do it then 
you know, you're not very popular with the students kind of thing. And, and, and I, you know, I'm a, I like to embrace technology and stuff. So I, all of my lectures are recorded. Um, and since that's been happening, I think I've seen a bit of a dip in attendance, but my actual view is they probably shouldn't be recorded in order to, yeah, in order to encourage attendance, but also to, to avoid the risk of, um, students thinking that the education is kind of it's it's at a time of my choosing you know i can consume it well it's something to be consumed for a start i can consume it when i want to consume it you know Mm -hmm. if if you play that out then you just get to a kind of online online learning model and Mm. universities schools even workplace training environment whatever it might be we're trying to create something more authentic and involved Mm. more of a community thing that involves uh, in-person interaction. So I'm kind of divided on 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 providing an alternative to yeah. attending the session, and and I'd actually say no if I had to if I had to make a decision. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a fundamental question. We actually moved where I work from a um, enforced attendance model to a optional attendance model um, a few years ago years ago on the justification that it was simply that it, for, of inclusive actually and uh, inclusivity mm. reasons there was some so um, do you monitor attendance then steve do you no. do you take attendance no we're really? not we're not we're oh. not well well it's a bit complicated but essentially no the idea being mm. that um you have some students with care duties towards family members or their own children um medical issues sometimes there's very good reasons why attendance is prevented and if you make attendance mandatory and if you make um success in a module contingent upon dependence then you really are um not including those learners and that's not right and that's also not fair Mm. of course the corollary of this is that you have some students that could make it down to the lesson but um choose to use the facility they don't have to for Mm. less worthy purposes if you want so you have this sense of like the the deserving non-attendees and the undeserving ones yeah and um this is this has been really difficult for many colleagues of mine because if you have a model where where you know the learners are going to turn up and they sort of have to turn up then you teach completely differently to Mm. if you know that they whether they turn up or not they are entitled to the same well broadly the same access to learning um it's difficult it's very difficult difficult. i mean my 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 policy has been to write lesson summaries and put them on our learning platform after each lesson we don't video our lessons um in germany because that would involve videoing the students as well the learners and then they would be part of it and then there's 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 issues to do with with privacy and, and data protection so we, well, the recording um, we do is just the uh it's just the slides and the audio ah i see okay yeah well i mean yep. the, the way uh, i'm involved with modules where i don't teach i don't lecture i have sort of a, well exercise sessions um they're uh, 90 minutes or or um three hours and yep. i have a group of about between 20 and 30 learners and the idea is we do practical activities learning english mm. skills and to to video them wouldn't will have the same benefit as videoing a a, le- a lecture um just mm. spoken um but i put the lesson summary up 
So it means that they can see the materials that were used, which are online, and they can see the the the, the lesson summary gives a flavor of the narrative of the lesson. It's sort of because the materials on their own won't really mean much. It's text about industry mm. or business, and then it's, it's it's writing activities. But if you provide the summary, then they can imagine broadly what happened there. The reason I think it's has a double value is it helps me clarify my thoughts um, about the lesson and teach it better next time. And those summaries are still available for the, the subsequent semester. So I can see exactly how I did it last semester. And it's a good way of um, um, ensuring any gains you've made in, in the efficiency and quality of your teaching get carried mm. over into the next time you do it. So I don't mind doing the, the summaries. Um, so I don't agree. My, my position was, you know, this is corrosive. They should be made to come. Oh, I, I try mm. to I try to do what your second point was, which is just say to them, look, if you don't show up... Um, then it's it's fine because the information we use is available to you. You can see what we've done. But what I cannot make available to you is the experience of doing mm. it because you can get this information by reading this sheet. But to discover this, inf to discover these ideas by going through, uh, going on a little adventure with your group and having to overcome barriers and then at the end understanding mm. why we need these techniques, that mm. is something which is a little bit different. And, totally. Um, and ultimately, the other thing to do is you mentioned, you know, uh, they won't need to get what they need for the exam. And this is mm -hmm. what we talked about back in episode mm -hmm. number two, mm -hmm. um, the assessment episode. Uh, if you can develop assessment, which is um, comprehensive, so you don't just assess a portion of what you've been teaching, but you try and figure out how you can plan your teaching around what is accessible at the end, rather than just mm. planning out a whole module, then figuring out some kind of exam then you have more justification than saying, to be honest, the assessment isn't some written exam, guys. You have to show up and you, you're, you're going to be put in a simulated situation. We're going to have a meeting. I'm going to see how you react. Then you're going to write something based on the communication of, in that meeting. Then you can say, you know, you can prepare for this at home reasonably well. And I want to include any students that have to do it from home. But there's the undeniable benefit of physically experiencing the sessions. And so you mm. want to try, but you can't square the circle. You can't make it no. completely accessible to people who aren't there, like an online, mm. um, like a massive online. Mm. Open I don't, course. I don't, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's desirable. I mean, I mean, there's lots of kind of macro trends at play here as well. Like, um, you know, certainly in the UK, students are paying for other education and feeling entitled to it. Yeah, okay. But it depends, it depends, it depends what we want our universities to be. If we want them to be communities, uh, where there's um, friendships and people engage in extracurricular activities, you know, that they're, they're, they're not kind of nice places to be, mm. then then it's about more than just the exchange of exchange of information yep. for learning. Yep. It's about it's about more than that. It's about turning up. It's mm. about saying hello to your lecturer. Yep. It's about the lecturers planning good sessions that students want to, are going to want to turn turn up to. Mm. There's actually a social contract mm. that sits underneath all of this mm. that is now being brought into question by yep. the by by the marketization of 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 education. And um, I just worry, you know, um, I just worry that um, no one's really the guardian of that. No, no, no one's thinking about that. Everyone's thinking about the student experience. The student wants it. The student gets it. But what are we losing here? We're mm. losing something more profound. We're actually losing 
like the soul, the soul mm. of the university, mm. I think, and just and just turning them into these kind of uh, degree factories. And this, 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 in my view, is is creating a kind of bubble effect, mm. and that and that bubble will burst. Uh, you know, pretty soon, I think people are gonna. There's going to be a big kind of uh, reaction against. Uh, the kind of places that, that that universities have become, and then I think we're going to have to going to have to like re redesign it already. Okay, folks. So let's have a little look at our main topic today, which was um, the flow of information in the learning space. We started off by realizing there's probably more channels than we. Than we initially realized and and we went through them possibly we also realized we've been leaning a little bit too hard on teacher talk as our main channel of information which is wearing us out and pushing us into an unwelcome role as a gatekeeper where all information is going through us and that of course is limiting accessibility to that information to those students that feel comfortable personally interacting with their teacher um I think we need to try and broaden this out a bit. And I want to introduce this concept or explore this concept of accessibility to learners, mm. um, how they how how they feel they can access information and whether they can initiate this access. So of the eight different mm. channels of communication, let's just think about how many of them can be accessed by the learner um, when he or she actually wants to. So learner-driven mm, accessibility. If we look at teacher talk, that is that that is initiated exclusively by the teacher. Mm. Um, but I suppose the student can put their hand up and ask a question, with, I suppose. Yeah, with, with the exception that the student has to put um, her or his hand up in the middle of the lesson and ask a question in front of everybody else which or, is a big thing. Which is yeah. a big, very, very big thing. Or the learner has to say, "Oh, excuse me, uh, could you come over here and and, and help me and talk yeah. to me?" Other so there's going to be some learners who are quite comfortable um, initiating that, uh, opening up that channel of communication, but most of them won't be. So you're mm. talking about teacher, um, teacher-driven accessibility. Let's look at some of the others. Slides, information on your slide, teacher-driven. Teacher decides when the slide goes up again. Confident student can ask, can you show the slide, please? But basically, teacher mm. determines the pace of that and when the slides go to the next one. But we do have situations where students can access the, the slides online and therefore can flick through on their own laptop, yeah? The, so the platform, the, the, putting information on some kind of learning platform, students accessing it via tablet, phone, or laptop, that is what yeah. we put on the other side. That can be student. Yes, yeah, got that's that's learner-driven accessibility. Okay. Yep. Um, but all teacher talk is teacher-driven. Slides are teacher-driven. Mm. What about the whiteboard? It's teacher-driven. Generally sure. speaking, teacher has the pens. I have quite quite good fun giving pens to all the groups and having them run up and write stuff on the board. Good idea. Mm. That should have been the top tip. Um, but conventionally, it's teacher-driven. What about... Um, okay, so that is one, two, three, four, five. Five of our eight channels are teacher-driven. So... Mm. The teacher is uh, is deciding when this is accessible. Learner-driven. We have those handouts that we talked about, so giving some kind of sheet. Now, that's learner-driven because the learner can choose, you know, I'm going to look down and check what it says on the sheet mm. again, but the learner can decide when he or she wants to do that. 
Assuming they've been distributed, yeah. Assuming they've been distributed, yeah. Yeah. So on the so so the the, the teacher decides ultimately, okay, we we'll give the sheets out, but the learners can refer mm. back to them. Mm -hmm. um, likewise, learner driven is the stuff displayed on the walls of the room. So the the sentences that you talked about that you carry on stick up, that's learner. They they choose when to look at it. The teacher yep. does not restrict access to that. So you have already quite a big waiting. Most of the flows of information in the classroom are driven by the teacher and yep. relatively few are driven by the learner. Mm -hmm. And what we need to then think about is what information needs to what information needs to be accessible in a learner-driven manner and what information is better teacher teacher driven. So mm. in a way we we do have an advantage here a handout by the nature of its format does lend itself towards long form more detailed information so and that's good because that's the kind of information that you would want learners to have access to at their own pace and when they choose to so straight away this is the difference between a well-constructed handout which offers additional in-depth information versus mm. a slide which is not too packed with information um, but which only offers a few things, a few a few key points, which means yeah. that if the teacher is dictating access to the slide, mm. um, then that's fine because the slide doesn't have that much information on it, but the learner is dictating access to the more detailed information. If mm -hmm. you have detailed information on your slides and you don't have a mm. handout, then mm. you're making life very difficult for your learners because if they haven't sure, yeah. quite been able to access it, they have to put their hand up and say, oh, can you go to the mm. last slide again? The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is really annoying. And to be yeah. honest, the, the dangerous thing is 99% of the time, you will not even be aware because they won't put their hand up because they'll, yeah. they'll, just, they'll just figure out some, they'll just won't get it. And you've, and mm. you've, ex, un, you've unwittingly excluded that learner from that, that piece of information. So, so we have to think about what concepts the learners should, should should drive access to? Um, it's detailed information about the topic at hand, which which leads which lends itself to the handout. But I think it's fundamental learning principles or or principles that dictate how people work in your classroom space. So principles like in your case those key sentences, in my mm. case the PCAF principle, um, or stuff to do with how like basic like classroom rules about how we interact with each other, or basic ideas about how to keep motivated in a lesson. This is stuff that teachers and schools have been doing brilliantly for, for, for decades, putting up mm. displays which students can look at. And they, when the, the learner, when the learner sort of mm. feels a little bit lost, they can look at it and they see it. And this is also the point for our formative assessment criteria that we were talking about again back in podcast number two assessment, we talked about how formative assessment is a, a metacognitive level to the learning process. That means not learners just figuring out what the task is and for what the solution is, but also spending time thinking about how they are achieving that task sure. and how, they are, um, how mm. they are learning. So learning about their own learning. That you is, don't want to be you don't want to be reading that at the beginning of each lesson. No, because so because, it's important to get the channel right. Just just like in a, in a primary school where they have stuff on the wall about good behaviour and positive attitude, the teacher doesn't want to use teacher talk to reiterate that at the beginning of each lesson. So yeah. it's all about the channel. And this is stuff that you that has to be learned. Even metacognition 
as an idea has to be driven by the learner. It's no point the teacher constantly goes, yeah. oh, now think a little bit about how you're learning. Okay, now start they have to be consciously, mm, proactively yeah. self-starting that behavior. And if, if they're on the wall, there's a permanence to it. So you're kind of by yeah. osmosis, they're just soaking these in. Yeah, and then it, it it kind of becomes part of their subconscious, and that's yeah. and that's and that's the idea. So they're thinking metacognitively, yeah, kind of subconsciously, yeah. And then and they can access it when they need it, not when you decide yeah. they need it, but when they need it. Mm. Um, so now we have a more nuanced approach going on. We're thinking not just in terms of um, the form of the information, long form information on the handout, short form information on the slides or on the whiteboard, but we're also thinking about the accessibility of the, of the information. Is it something that learners need at different points depending on their ability, their age, their capacity? Um, if it is, then that needs to be in one of these, which is on the, the learner-driven side, mainly the handouts or that for the most abstract information that's needed for every task, stuff displayed on the on the wall. Now, yep. I think that I think that if we if we getting there, then we're already making a lot of progress. And I'm sure people listening to this are maybe just thinking about the way they do things and thinking about often you, they're doing it right. This is intuitive stuff. Um, you don't have to make the mistake of putting too much information on your slide and then frustrating learners. You don't make that mistake too many times. You pretty quickly figure out what the problem is. What I'm also interested to, to, to round this off is communicative concepts um, or information flows which transcend multiple categories. And the example mm. I wanted to use, Chris, is your YouTube videos which you have created which are mm. accessible online to learners also at all times, not even in the learning space. They can get it everywhere. Mm. Sure. And yet they offer sort of long-form um but still sort of teacher talk associated. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the, the great well, thing. Well, they're about, demonstrations. Yeah. They're demonstrations. Yeah. So. I mean, the, the, they, mm. they have, they have the benefits of, of teacher talk, um, mm. which is there's a personal element to it and they're auditive. So, so students don't have to read them. They might, they might prefer auditive learning and yet they can be learner driven rather than being, teacher-driven or they're, they're accessible in this, yeah in yeah it's accessible and in the sense that the learner can control the pacing by going back and forward through the video yeah and then and then working through the video you know moving on to the next video when they're ready so it does give it's accessible to the learner and the learner can control uh the kind of the rhythm of the of the content as well if you like so this would be the stuff that uh, that teachers can prepare, like um, concepts which they have to explain every week, or or ideas that mm. they might, they can oh. make a. Uh, it's easy to make a video now on your phone and put it on totally. a learning platform, put it on YouTube, or put it on whatever learning platform you use, and have that available in the background for learners mm -hmm. to to check out. You're you're getting benefits from both sides. Um, the other thing is generally using your learning platform, whatever it is, to have a whole mm. range of materials that are always available. Um, so that means that you can transcend this idea of one handout per lesson. You can make a variety of materials available on the learning platform and just have it there as a, maybe you want to fashion it as like a toolkit or like a support mm. kit or a sandbox, some kind of easily mm. understandable metaphor so that learners can decide, right, I'm struggling with this, yeah. but I don't want to call the teacher over. I don't want to mm -hmm. look stupid, for but I know I have resources which I can access, which I don't have to wait and maybe receive, mm. and that can help me with this. And this is something that I'm That's really right. trying to build up in my teaching at the moment. Yeah. Make available. And it helps. Um, it, it helps like with all that kind of deeper stuff you're talking about there. It helps, but 
on the practical level as well, it is so helpful when when you're tired and you've been asked for the um, 553rd time in your teaching career um, how VLOOKUP works. Mm. And, you know, I used to, I used to like literally sit next to the student and go through it on their computer, which mm. took five, five or 10 minutes. Mm. Mm. Now it's so much easier. So you just say, listen, here's the video and, and the students into the video. Yep. It, it has a profound effect. And I suppose for teachers working alone up front, I mean, we're talking about learning platforms and that kind of thing. And this may not be available to somebody who's doing company courses in languages or somebody who's in charge of, of, of development, professional development afternoon on Fridays at their company. Mm. So how could they implement this? Well, I think that you, you can do it using online tools available. You can put videos on YouTube. You can upload um, documents, PDFs, onto um, a website hosting page. Nowadays, stuff like mm. Squarespace, um, they have, they, they, these are easy tools. You don't have to set up your own website. It's, it's as simple as yeah, having exactly. an account and uploading your stuff and, and everything else is done in the background for you. Mm. Um, so you can develop your own personal toolkit of supportive materials. Mm -hmm. And most crucially, you do not bring them with you in a box or a file, yeah. which learners can only access by asking you for it you make it available for them via their devices via their smartphones or whatever and i think that um um as technology makes this facilitates this flow of information we need to be more cognizant of the benefits it can offer us in mm. um democratizing access to information in the learning space and making yourself not so much a gatekeeper but you're throwing open the gates because mm. why would why would you need it to go through you? Yeah. Um, it's it's I, not helpful. Yeah. I mean, video resources, yeah. I mean, 100%. That I highly recommend them. Um, but it, it does take a bit of thought about how to deploy them. I, I see them as a kind of safety net mm. um, for, for students. I mean, for example, you can't just rock up in the lesson and say, okay, well, maybe you can. I'm not sure, but you can't rock up to the lesson and say, "Okay, first we're going to watch one of my videos," which yeah, no. which which explains which explains the main ideas. Although that that I think I have done that, and <laughs> and that and, and that can work, but it's more it's more. I mean, it facilitates differentiation. Yeah, because because you can teach it, uh, you know, at this level, and then. Um, say to the students, listen, if you want to go over this again, if you want to watch a video about this, here it is. And the best thing is, you know, I just gave the example of me sitting next to a student explaining to them, mm. which is a bit humiliating for the student. Mm. Yeah. So the student can just, uh, you know, covertly get the phone out, have the phone on the desk with the, uh, with the earbuds in mm. and just be, and just be listening to the, uh, sorry, well, looking at mm. watching the video and actually, actually working through it. So yeah, massively beneficial. And just just on the point about um, people feeling, you know, uh, reluctant to to make videos, you know, I just want to mm. repeat what you said, Steve, you know, literally on your phone, on your smartphone mm. uh, is enough. But I say to people, just like we're doing content mm. about uh, what we're interested in, which is teaching, I think everybody should be making content about something mm. that they're interested in whatever you're interested in whatever you're expert on you don't have to be an expert you can do content on your journey to being an expert as well mm. but just through making regular content you're gonna get 
better at it and you're and, and you're going to demystify it and remove that stigma you know i'm on camera so if you can do it um regularly you're going to get a lot better and you know you're going to benefit and your students are going to benefit uh, ma- massively as well we are at the, in a kind of paradigm shift at the moment to do with the creation mm. of content the dissemination of information and um yeah the the democratization of of power via knowledge it's it's exciting Mm. times really and for anybody involved in teaching this is just a a golden opportunity um to to radically rethink some of the ways we do things you don't have to do it i think it can be it can feel intimidating if you're if you're being asked a question so many basic things and also if if maybe a crutch which you've come to lean on a bit too much which is the fact that you know the stuff and they need to know the stuff and they need the mm. stuff that you know to pass the exam and that gives you credibility and power and what we're talking about is stripping yourself of that we're talking about making mm. that stuff available to them independently of your person um by making it but by, by democratizing accessibility to that information um it's all a bit it's all a bit alarming but then let's not forget i said at the start this is in my mind more about auxiliary information that needs to be in place so that the learning can happen and if you're doing forward-thinking task-based experiential learning we'll talk about that in a later later podcast rather than more traditional didactic transactional learning then Mm. that process that experience cannot be put into a youtube video to be consumed Mm. and it cannot be broken down onto an easily accessible pdf those two things that i've just mentioned are supportive structures which help the really important thing happen which is the the learning and the experience of the learning so so really i think these things are all pulling in the same direction nobody wants to devalue the teacher In, in a way you are you are you are elevating the position of the teacher by stripping away mm. humdrum housekeeping tasks um, mm. and the and the the conveyance of of uh, uninteresting but necessary information to other channels so that the actual interaction teacher learner learner can really be focused on the the core of the learning that's how i see it but sure and who that, knows? that i mean everybody wants to give the glorious a plenary at the end where everything comes together students are punching the air you've got some <laughs> you've got some strong theoretical content you walk out of the classroom feeling great everybody wants to give that now we're not saying you shouldn't feel that as a teacher we're saying that by thinking about these channels mm. you can preserve your energy for those barnstorming uh end of session speeches where you can whip everybody up into a frenzy and get them really excited we're saying keep doing that but Mm. don't do the humdrum Mm. housekeeping stuff that's using up your energy Mm. and wearing out your teacher talk voice so the students don't want to listen uh you know you know you, you just have less currency in in the classroom because you know you've you've worn out your quite literally Mm. in my case you know worn out your voice so there you go, folks. Um, hopefully some of this has resonated with you. I mean, me and Chris sort of just chat about it, really. And we, uh, it's important that you you apply this to your own situation. And hell, if you're already doing it and you're realizing it, then so are we. And well done, high five on that. We're all good. Um, and maybe it caused you to think about something. And um, as we always say, um, the podcast is hosted on Podbean. 
you can send us messages there and leave comments on the podcast. Let us know what you'd like us to discuss or your thoughts on what we've been talking about. Chris, um, you're concluding the podcast today, but before you do, mm. I have a top tip, which uh, listeners can use in their lessons today or tomorrow, whenever the next teaching. It's very simple this time. I often find myself creating tables in uh, a word processing document, uh, word processing program of your choice, creating tables because I want to have cards for students to have to sort through or rearrange. For example, you talked a few uh, episodes ago about having definitions and names yeah. of business processes. So you might have all the names and then all the definitions. You're going to put them in a table. There's going to be some, you maybe get the guillotine out. If you've got one, you're going to get the long, the big yeah. scissors, get out the big scissors, cut those up, and then give my <laughs> on the class, and realization has to occur. Um, there is a facility in Microsoft Word, and in, I think in pretty much every word processing program, that you make a table, and mm. then when you start typing it, information in, the, the, the cells will obviously reformat. You need to format your table using the row height and the column width function. Mm. So you don't let the text determine how big the cell is. You determine mm. and you make the cell big enough to hold whatever is the largest amount of text. Nice. How, what, why? But why is this a top tier? This, this must sound absolutely meaningless. <laughs> because, dear listeners, when you've got, say, nine, say you've got 12 cards and there's four on each sheet, then you need to cut out, then you're going to have three sheets per set. And mm -hmm. if you formatted the table such that the cells are all the same size, you can put those three sheets on top of each other and all the cells will line up. So mm. as long as you cut out the top sheet correctly, all of the yeah. cells will then be cut out correctly. If you don't do it like that, then sheet one, sheet two, and sheet three, the, the cell heights will be different. Mm. And that means when you cut out the first sheet, you'll look at the second sheet and realize, oh no, I've just cut all the cells in half because they were a different height. Yeah. And, and this is the kind of thing where you've got 10 minutes before the lesson, you need to do a bit of cutting out, or you may, you've maybe got some students that are early and you need to need outsource the cutting out to them. <laughs> you, you need to be able to, to stack those sheets up and cut them out as one. And setting uh, the tape, the, the, it's mainly, it's not so much the width that matters, generally the cell height that matters. Setting that using the cell height function and making it a fixed height, not textual, believe me, it will quickly mm, uh, well it. it can make the difference between a five minute cut out cutting out process or a 20 minute cutting out process mm. and when you realize after you've done like the first five sheets and you realize oh my word i'm gonna have to do each sheet individually this is gonna take absolutely ages <laughs> it'd be quite frustrating so love it think about if you're gonna cut out cue cards cards for students get it a fixed table height fixed table width so that every sheet is exactly the same and believe me thank me afterwards because you will save time mm, on it mm. That's how I always do it nowadays. Fantastic. Good stuff. All right. So that's our top tip. Top, the tip top tip for this week. And um, we're going to wrap, wrap things up there, Steve, for this week. I think so, yeah. It's, it's been a, a lot of fun chatting about this stuff. Hopefully it's been help, helpful to people. We're going to keep doing these podcasts. Um, next week is going to be um, episode number 10 which is a, mm. a very tiny milestone. Uh, but we're going to have something slightly different for that just to keep things um, keep things interesting. Um, yep. I shall return to planning that and planning my lessons for uh, next semester. What are you up to, Chris, this week? Uh, yeah, teaching load fairly light at the moment. So I'm working on projects and working on my YouTube content. And um, I think, yeah, to the dear listeners, uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on what we're doing. 
And what do you think? You know, what do you think about the podcasts? As Steve said, you know, we chat about this anyway, usually on the underground system in Berlin. Mm-hmm. We're having these conversations anyway. So we'd love to know if you're getting anything out of it. You know, what topics do you want us to cover? And uh, do you have any top tips that you can send in and that we can share? We would love to hear your feedback. But if that's everything, Steve, then yep. we will say our farewells and we will see you next week in episode 10. Thanks for listening, folks.